All right, church, go and grab your Bibles with me and open up, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 15. 2 Kings chapter 15. So for quite a while now, we have been studying. Uh, we started with 1 Kings, and now we've transitioned into 2 Kings. And just remember, it's helpful kind of to back up at the beginning of these studies and remember what we're looking at with these Old Testament studies. So largely what you get in the Old Testament is God reveals himself to us through his relationship with Israel. So um, God is the one who creates the nation of Israel, right? Abraham and Sarah are barren, and God is the one who miraculously blesses them with a child, and then God tells them that through this child, through these descendants, he's gonna create a whole nation and that this nation is gonna know God in a peculiar way. God's gonna reveal himself not just to this nation, but he's gonna re reveal himself through this nation to the whole world. And so what we look at in the Old Testament, as we study the history of Israel, what we're really saying is, is we're learning God's ways with his people. We're learning the character of God by how he interacts with the nation of Israel. And so what we're getting in First and Second Kings is a um, a brief picture of that history. So first and second Kings together cover about 400 years of God's history with Israel. It starts about a thousand years before the birth of Jesus and it goes to about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. And one of the things to keep in mind as we go through first and second Kings is uh, this is that time period when there are two divided Jewish empires. So we normally talk about the nation of Israel as if it's just one united front. And that's the way it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be these 12 tribes united together, worshiping God, unified. But of course, it didn't stay that. Um, after, after Rehoboam or after Solomon died, under the leadership of Rehoboam, it split into two. And so as we go through First and Second Kings, we're seeing two different Jewish states. The northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. And really what we're seeing is the narrator is tracing the story of both of these kingdoms as they slowly, slowly, it's probably not even the best word, as they, sometimes it's quickly, but as they move toward ruin. And so both the northern and the southern empires in their relationship to God and their rebellion against God uh, begin to disintegrate. Even though we saw last week what looked like a temporary Upswing. Do you remember how last week we saw that particularly in the Northern Empire under the leadership of a man named Jeroboam II, the Northern Empire had a, a tick back in the right direction. The economy started doing well. They started expanding their territory. Things looked like they were going really well. So for some people on the ground, they might have imagined that Israel was about to return to its former glory. But anybody with a discerning eye would have known that this, this was actually the calm before the storm, or maybe a better way to think about it. If you worked in the medical field or um, if you have ever cared for a loved one with some sort of terminal illness, one of the things that often happens as someone is moving toward death is just before they'll pass away, there'll be a temporary surge well, where they'll seem like maybe momentarily they've improved. Maybe you, you go in the day before and they, they don't even have the energy to speak. And you come in the next day and they're sitting up in bed and they're talking. It's called terminal, terminal lucidity. Even people who have had significant cognitive decline will have a period, often right before they pass away, where there'll be an upswing and they'll seem to have some mental acuity back. And it can, it can fool the family into thinking that 
that maybe they're recovering. But what usually happens is within at the most a couple of days or often within just a few hours after what seems like this surge back, there's this plummet as their health very quickly goes downhill and then they move toward death. Well, that, that's what we're seeing with Israel. Israel, the northern kingdom especially right now, is in its death throes. And what we saw last week in chapter 14 was its terminal lucidity. It was this moment where it temporarily seemed to bounce back. There's this surge in energy and surge in the economy. But what we're going to see tonight in chapter 15 is it's now going to very quickly plummet. And by chapter 17, the northern kingdom of Israel is going to be no more. Okay, it's about to go out of existence. So just to sort of give you the big picture view of chapter 15, the way it works is the first story and the last story in chapter 15 focuses on the southern kingdom of Judah. We won't get to the last story tonight, but that's sort of the bread of the sandwich. First story and last story are about Judah. And then in between those two stories about Judah, we get five consecutive stories, five consecutive kings in the northern empire. So it goes Judah, five kings of the north, and then Judah in the south again. And it's almost like, um, do you know if you've ever watched a movie, maybe you're watching a movie and it's a movie you've seen before, and you're coming up on a part of the movie that you don't like, maybe it's, it's too depressing or it's sad or whatever, and so you just take the remote control and you fast forward through that, that section. That's what I feel like Second Kings 15 is. You get these five stories of northern kings, and it's almost like the narrator holds down the fast-forward button because he just blazes through decades of Israelite history, speeds through the story of these five kings as if, as if it's too painful to watch. And so he goes through them really fast. Okay, so let's read, and we'll try to make it through most of the chapter tonight. So Second Kings chapter 15, we're going to begin in verse 1, and we'll take it a little bit at a time. First four verses. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done, except that the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So just to get the facts in place, so what kingdom are we talking about here? So we're talking about the kingdom of Judah, and who's the king that comes to the throne? His name is Azariah, and he is the son. Do you remember Amaziah from last week? So Amaziah was that king who got so full of himself that he decided he wanted to pick a fight with the northern empire. And how did that fight work out for Amaziah? Disastrous. The army was defeated. The walls of Jerusalem were torn down. Amaziah himself was hauled off into exile and taken as a hostage. And later, even when Amaziah was released and returned home, the people's animosity was so great for Amaziah. It's like they were still brewing over that foolish war he had led them into. So even after Amaziah came back home, his own people eventually assassinated him. And when Amaziah was assassinated, his son, his name's mentioned here, Azariah, becomes king. Or I should say when he dies, his son becomes sole king. Because what would usually happen in these ancient monarchies is there would be a period of time 
where the father and the son would reign together as co-regents. And that's what actually happened with Amaziah and Azariah. They had reigned together for a while, then Amaziah is killed, Azariah becomes king. Now, you, you probably don't know the name Azariah, but Azariah actually goes by two names. There's another name that he'll be called later in this chapter. He also goes by the name Uzziah. Now, do you know the name Uzziah? Anybody? Is there a passage of scripture that you know where the name Uzziah shows up? He is. He is. There you go. That's the scripture that you might know of. Um, you know the passage of scripture? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled. You know that verse, Isaiah 6? Well, Isaiah, his vision of heaven and his call to ministry actually began at the end of the reign of this king. So uh, as we're looking at Uzziah's reign, we're actually looking at a period of time where the ministry of Isaiah is going to begin to unfold. So, so what was King Azariah slash Uzziah like? Well, we're told in verse 3, the summary of it is he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So overall, he was a good king. But the narrator makes a point of highlighting one key exception. What's the key exception? It's the same exception that is listed for so many of these southern kings. He did not remove the high places. And I've described these so much that I'm not going to spend much time on it. But remember, the high places were the shrines that the Canaanites had built in the promised land before Israel got there. Those were the places they would worship their local deities. And when Israel got there, they were supposed to destroy all the high places. But instead, they kept them. And they kept using the high places as their own personalized worship sites. And none of the kings were willing to take the step, or I shouldn't say none, there will be a couple, but almost none of the kings were willing to take, do the steps necessary to get rid of the high places. Okay, and Uzziah is going to be like that. All right, let's keep reading about Uzziah. There's a part Miss Connie mentioned that'll show up in verse five. It says, then the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper until the day of his death. So he dwelt in an isolated house. And Jotham, the king's son, was over the royal house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Azariah rested with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. And then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Now, we get an idea here that even though Azariah, Uzziah, is a good king, that there's a problem. Because what are we told about him there? Well, we're told that God struck him with leprosy. Now, we're not told here why God struck him with leprosy, but we do know from elsewhere why God struck him with leprosy, don't we? Uh, we, we only get one little paragraph about Uzziah here. In Second Chronicles, we get a whole chapter about Uzziah, the whole chapter. Second Chronicles 26 the whole thing is about the reign of King Uzziah. And here's, here's his reign in a nutshell. So when Uzziah first comes to the throne, he starts doing things really, really well. He's a great king. His leadership is well received. Remember, his, under his father's reign, the walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed. Well, Uzziah comes in. He rebuilds the walls of the city, and he doesn't just rebuild them. He adds fortifications. He builds towers on top of the walls. He even goes out in the desert and builds uh, watchtowers so that no enemy can sneak up. 
He strengthens the army so that he grows the army to over 300,000 soldiers. He builds new weapons and he builds new armor and he digs wells and things are going really well. A lot of success. Okay, but if you think back to last week, what is one of the primary dangers with success? What's one of the temptations? The same temptation that his father failed at, it's the temptation of pride. And pride is, is what ended up leading to King Uzziah's downfall. I'll just read two quick verses from Second Chronicles 26 so you can see what exactly happened with his pride. So his, this is Uzziah, so his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped. And by the way, that reminds us of why pride is so foolish. Why was he so successful? Because God helped him. But Uzziah begins to live like he had done it all himself anyway. He was marvelously helped till he became strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So what happens with Uzziah? Well, imagine what begins to go on in his mind. So his, his fame has spread far and wide. Everybody knows this great king. Everybody is in awe of this great king. He is revered by everybody. And imagine him sitting around the palace one day thinking, I'm clearly the greatest man in all of Israel. So why in the world do I need a priest to offer my sacrifice for me in the temple? I'm better than those priests. Why do I need them to mediate for me? Why do I need them? Why are they the only ones who can approach the altar in the temple? I should be able to do that myself. I don't need those priests. And so he flexes his muscles, grabs his incense, goes to the temple, barges into the temple on his own, and he's getting ready to burn his own incense in the, on the altar. And the priest confront him and basically say, look, God said... Only the sons of Aaron are allowed to offer sacrifices. And you read the story in 2 Chronicles, and, and Uzziah apparently just unloads on a rant against these priests. And in the middle of his rant, leprosy shows up on his forehead, and the priests rush him out of the temple. And Uzziah spends the rest of his life in quarantine. So he's hidden away, kind of ruling from the shadows, while his son has to come on board and reign with him. And his son is the visible one on the throne, while Uzziah is sort of operating behind the scenes. So just, just to connect a quick dot. So if there is one lesson we should have learned from chapter 15 and chapter 14, it's this. It is how absolutely destructive the sin of pride is. Okay, often in our lives, pride is not one of the, it can be a sin that we can do a little bit better of a job of hiding sometimes. There are more um, grossly visible sins than the sin of pride. But what, what 2 Kings 14 and 15 show us is that the sin of pride is like a ticking time bomb. It's not a question of if it's going to lead to disaster. It is only a question of when it is going to lead to disaster. This is back to the uh, John Stock quote I gave you last week, that at every level of our Christian development, pride is the greatest enemy and humility is, the greatest, is our greatest friend. So you have Uzziah, and by the way, we've seen this with so many kings. Uzziah started well and he ended 
in disaster. How many kings have we seen start well and end terribly? So one of the other themes that keeps echoing through First and Second Kings is this call for us to finish in the Christian life. Right? Don't just, it's not just how we come out of the blocks that matters. God has called us to remain faithful all the way to the finish line. And Uzziah didn't do that. Okay, so that's the reign of King Uzziah. Now we'll come back to the southern kingdom at the very end, and that's what we're going to get into next week. All right. Now with Uzziah out of the way, the rest of the chapter we're going to look at tonight is going to turn our attention now back to the northern kingdom. And, and it is a wild ride. The way, I feel, the way it feels to me, um, the transition from chapter 14 to 15, you know how especially old roller coasters go? They always start with this slow climb up the first hill. Where it's click, 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 click until you finally get to the top. And then there's this sort of pause. And then it's a plunge and twist and turns and upside down. And it, Well, chapter 14 in 2 Kings is like the slow climb up the hill. It looks like everything's going well. You can hear the chain clicking as it pulls it up. Well, as you come into chapter 15, now it, we're getting ready for the plunge. And what's going to happen is, so we were just told Uzziah reigns for 52 years. Well, during the 52 years that Uzziah was on the throne, six different kings reigned in the northern kingdom of Israel. Five of them are going to be mentioned here. We know Jeroboam was one of them. We're going to get five more kings here. And what's really striking is only one of these five kings is going to die of natural causes. So we're going to have coups and we're going to have assassinations, it is going to turn into absolute chaos. And this is going to be happening at the worst time possible. Because right as internally Israel is getting chaotic, it's unraveling, it's getting weaker and weaker, right at this same time is when Assyria finally gets its act together. And Assyria, which has been a problem before, all of a sudden is going to get a king on the throne who has a mind toward expansion. So you have the nation, which is getting weaker and weaker and more and more chaotic, and now all of a sudden you're going to have a powerful enemy. So how do you think a chaotic nation is going to handle a powerful enemy? It's going to, it's going to be ugly.